may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of God our Father. Amen. You know, today I want to talk to you about the four elements of what a healthy family looks like. And when I use the word family, I'm really talking about two things. First, I'm talking about the parent-child relationship. In fact, just so you know, I used to be somewhat of an expert on parenting, and then I had kids. And so now I don't talk about it so much. I just kind of skim over it, barely get into this stuff. Because my thinking is this. I feel like if I tell you how to raise your kids, all you have to do is look at mine. And then you begin to question, and you begin to wonder how smart I am. But the other thing I'm referring to when it comes to families is I'm talking about the husband-wife relationship as well. I was actually even thinking of speaking on romance today, but whenever I start talking about romance in church, guys always seem to think about one, one thing. That's listening, right? Listening is what they usually think about. I'm convinced of it. That was a joke, but nobody laughed. You hurt my feelings. Thank you. I'll have to work on that for next service. Anyway, but when you deal with the term family... We've got to talk about both, both the parent and child, both, both the husband and wife. I know many people that want a great family. In fact, almost everybody wants a great family. But yet, even some of us, even in the service today, the reality is that our, our marriage is in the pits or we're struggling with it in different ways. And we know, because we're pretty smart people, that, that you can't have a great family unless we get that marriage act together. We know that's part and parcel of the whole thing. In fact, I would even go so far to say one of the greatest gifts that you can give your kids is a marriage that's healthy, is a marriage that's working. For those of you who are single parents, while you may not be able to model marriage, that's true, you can certainly still model positive relationships. And I wish more and more single parents would do that very thing. Ones that are filled with integrity, healthy communication, and godly conflict resolution. For those of you who are single and you have no children, you can also rejoice because all the things I'm going to talk about, all four elements that I'm going to talk about today, refer to healthy relationships. They're markers, if you will, on what to look for in relationships and how to make them work. And so as we go through this thing, God gives us four elements of what a healthy relationship, with, of what healthy families look like. And, and it's going to sound similar in some ways to the very first one, but it's kind of bookending this series in many ways even though there's one to go. The first one, though, that God gives us is this idea of fun. I think that's a lost element so often when we think about families, but healthy families make fun. And I'm not saying that mom needs to be a stand-up comic or dad needs to be behind the door with a rubber, nose, a rubber hose on his face and jump out at the kids. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that a home should be a place where there's some fun, some laughter, and, that's a net, and that those two things are natural elements to what goes on in the home. I know why when I was working with teenagers, one of the biggest things that kids wanted is they wanted to have a home where they could go to that was fun, where they could bring other people to that was fun. In fact, when I was in high school, I wanted to go to my buddy's house because their, their house was always fun. My house was always a blast since you know my parents too. But, but this, you know, in this one case, I, I, the only one case, I wanted to go there. Complicates things when you know my folks. <laughs> okay, anyway. In John 10.10, 10, uh, he says this, A thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. So he talks about a real life. He talks about eternal life. He talks about a better life. In other words, it's good to have some fun, given all those gifts, those amazing promises that God gives us. It's good to laugh. Proverbs says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. In other words, healthy families... They learn to have fun with each other. 
they, they learn to be a place where there's laughter and that that's a common element. And maybe a more important word than fun, though, in this discussion is this word make. Because fun just doesn't happen. You have to make it happen, right? I know in, in my marriage relationship, the most romantic thing that I can do is give my wife time. I know that doesn't sound very exciting, and I gave her more than that for Valentine's Day. I got her some flowers and the thing. But the most important thing, and if actually all I gave her was time, she would still be thrilled. Because that's the most important thing to her. It's the most romantic thing you can give someone is time. It really doesn't matter that much what we do as long as I take the time to invest in that relationship. And so I encourage you to do that with your significant spouse or or your significant relationship or or spouse or your kids. Because some of us fall into this trap, right? What do you want to do tonight? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, I'm not sure what I want to do. Do you want to go eat? I don't care, you know, and and on goes the discussion. But here's, guys, is where we fall into the trap. When they say, I don't care, we believe them. It's always a dangerous thing. But when I take the time to make it happen, it doesn't matter where we go because time is romantic. And so parents, teach your kids how to have fun. Actually model it for them. Teach them how to have fun without having to have all these toys and gadgets to preoccupy their time. Have you ever had to try to have a discussion with your kids and all they're doing is looking like this into, this, into a, I guess it's a, an iTouch now or an iPad. Or it used to be video games, I guess for some it still is. But we've got to figure out a way to show them how to have fun instead of always giving them something to preoccupy their time. I had a buddy who was a youth pastor in California for 11 years, and he did an incredible job. He had raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, refurbished some buildings, had restaurant booths in these buildings, large screen TVs, couches, arcades. It was, a, it was, the, it was the camp you just saw. It was awesome in so many ways, but it was at their church. And he said this. He says, we thought that, we thought that, that was the problem, that kids needed a place to go. And he said they did. They loved it for about a month. And then the fun ran out fast. He said, I learned a very expensive lesson that day. You can't buy fun for people. You have to teach them how to have it. We look around and say, the problem with teenagers today is they don't have anything to do, but that's a myth. They have more to do today than they've ever had to do before. We've got to teach them how to have fun or they're going to keep looking for the next toy or worse, the next thrill to keep them preoccupied. We've got to start modeling what fun is in the family. There's another thing that you look for. So fun is one of the big markers that you look for, but there's another one as well, and that's the word attention. Healthy families give attention to one another. In Philippians 2, it says, When you do good things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. You know, when I was sharing with my wife what I was going to talk about today, and I showed her the outline, she was kind of wondering what some of the blanks were, and I didn't want to tell her this particular blank, because I knew when I did, she would just go, oh, and I've been married long enough to know what oh means. It means, oh, that's neat, sweetie. You're going to preach on something you have no real-life actual experience in. That's fantastic. And I say that because this is one of my weaknesses. I'm not as good at this as I am at other things. And I say, honey, no, I do pay attention to you all the time. She says, yes, when you're not in front of the TV or the computer, you do a great job. And so on, so went on the discussion. My buddy similarly said this one time. He says, you know you're in trouble when your kids grab your face saying, dad, look at me. He says, that's usually a sign, you know. But healthy families give attention. As I've explored this weakness in my life and really thought about why I struggle in this particular area, I've come up with the answer. And I know it's the answer, but the answer is simply this. It's because I'm selfish. 
I really am. I, I put my needs before my family's needs and before my wife's because I am a selfish person. But you know what's interesting and scary all at the same time for you guys? And that's that you're selfish too. We're all selfish. Philippians 2.5, it's talking about Jesus. It says, although he was equal with God, he humbled himself and became like a servant. Jesus modeled for us this type of putting other people first. I think it's a quest for Christians to try to do that with other people, with your family, with your spouses. It's hard. You get tired. You, you, you have these opinions. You have these ways of looking at life. And sometimes you build up camps instead of trying to think on how to value the other person in your life. In Romans 12.10 it says, Love one another, outdo one another in showing honor. I don't know a single relationship that tries to outdo the other in showing honor. I don't. Maybe some newlyweds, you know, but I don't. And, and that's to our shame as Christians that we don't do that better. And that starts with attention. And so how do we do this? Well, let me just give you one simple way. There's a bunch of ways that you can work on this. But, but one simple way is make it a rule to allow people in your life to finish their thoughts, to finish their ideas, to finish their sentences without cutting them off or giving them your opinion. Guys, this is especially for us. Sometimes we just need to listen, as my wife told me last night. Good listening allows them to finish, though, and values their opinion, their world. Last night, Beth came in to the room and she shared something with me and I didn't know how to respond. So I said, honey, I don't know how to respond. She said, well, then just listen. <laughs> okay, I can do that. I just wanted to hear what it is that she has to say. As parents, valuing your kid's world also does, does not necessarily mean that you have to agree with your kid's world. But you do have to value it and hear it out. When I was doing youth ministry, I'd have parents say, I don't get it. They broke up with the girl. I, I don't understand. It's just puppy love. I heard a great response from a youth minister one time, though. So I began using it. He says, yes, but puppy love is very real to puppies. We need to learn how to listen and actually hear what other people in our lives are saying because it's real to them and we need to learn how to value them with our attention. And so another, one, so another big one is attention as we're looking at healthy relationships. Another one God gives us is the word inspire. Healthy families verbally inspire one another. And how do they do it? They inspire through encouragement. In 1 Thessalonians it says, So give encouragement to each other and keep strengthening one another. And that's what encouragement does. Another word for strengthening is to build up, to fortify, to make strong. And I can't think of anything I want for my children or for my wife more than have them built up in the Lord, having a good sense of God confidence and not having all the insecurity that's going around these days. And I realize that there's some people in here that have a very tough time with verbal encouragement and they fall back into the game of saying, well, it's just the way I grew up. The environment I, in, I grew up in was tough. Nobody ever encouraged me. Nobody ever loved me. It was very difficult. And I just say this to you, you've got to move past it. You are not a victim to your past. You can choose to be different in the future. Nobody is a victim to their behavior. And so you need to work through that. You need to break through so you're, that you're verbally encouraging other people. Some of our hurt time because, to be honest, their heart's in the wrong place. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 12. He says, A good man's speech reveals the rich treasures within him. And an evil-hearted man is filled with venom, and his speech reveals that. See, basically what Jesus is saying here is that the words that come out of your mouth are a reflection of, going what's on, going, of what's happening inside your heart and inside your life. If good words aren't coming out, you probably need to do a heart transplant of some sort. Because the reality is that people are dying for your encouragement in this life. 
And so God says, be liberal with your praise. It's funny, we hold on to encouragement like it's this valuable, precious gift, but it's not. It's not expensive at all. It's free. But it is valuable. The person who's sitting next to you is dying for it. I've never met anybody who says, okay, stop. Stop giving me all this encouragement. Stop giving me all this praise. I just can't handle it anymore. I've never met anybody who said that. Maybe you have. I, I have not. But the reason why I haven't, I'm sure, is because we all need to be encouraged. We all want to be encouraged. And unfortunately, it just doesn't happen enough as we're walking through life, hence the insecurity, hence the loneliness, and on and on. God also gives us another side of this. He says, watch your words as well. In the book of James, the Bible tells us that the tongue is a small part of the body, but it's like fire. It's like a forest fire. In other words, words hurt. A buddy of mine was at a house with some friends last week, and he was playing a game called Bagel Ball. I don't know if you ever heard of that. I hadn't, but it's where you throw a bagel into a, a bagel into a bucket and you try to see how many you can make. I guess it's like horseshoes or something. But anyway, so everybody was having a fun time. They're really getting into it and they're really trying to get this one lady to participate, but she just wouldn't. His wife went up to her afterwards and said, "Hey, what's the deal? I mean, you know, you know, share with me. Why, why don't you want to play?" And she said, when she was a little girl, her daddy said that she threw like a girl, and ever since. She hadn't picked up a ball or a bagel or anything to throw. Why? Because words cause pain. I think that's why in Proverbs 12 it says, careless words stab like a sword. What we might say in a relaxed moment can lodge in the heart of a person and it can, it can never be forgotten. And so when we use words, we've got to learn to use them in encouraging ways and ways that last that are positive and not the other. And then God gives us one last thing to look for. And it's the word yield. Healthy families yield to God. When I looked up yield in the dictionary or the thesaurus, it came out with some other words that I thought were interesting. Surrender. Healthy families surrender their families to God, their marriage to God. Relinquish, submit, give forth. An interesting word that I found in the thesaurus that I kind of dismissed early on, but then as I thought more about it, I thought it was actually kind of genius that when you yield your family to God, you, you give it to God, you can relax. And relax was the word. You can relax because God loves you more and he loves your family more than anybody else could possibly love. He loves my wife more than anybody else could possibly love my wife because his love is unlimited. He has this unlimited capacity to love us over and over and over again. He doesn't get frustrated. Well, he probably does get frustrated, but he continues to love through that frustration over and over Reality is just yield to God and say we're going to have a God-centered marriage. Not a me-centered marriage, not a sex-centered marriage, but a God-centered marriage. Say we're going to yield and we're going to have a God-centered family. Not a world-centered family, not a school-centered family, not a sports-centered family, but a God-centered family. And that has implication. I mean, we see it every year with confirmation. Where is the priority of the family? We either see it in attendance at confirmation or... We see it in non-attendance. And families continually make choices of who or what is going to be number one. Passage in Deuteronomy, an Old Testament passage, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's, that's a big thing. That's his call to us. That's what it means to be a disciple, to put him first in all things. Always remember these commands that I give you. Teach these commands to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. Talk about them when you lie down and when you get up. See, the, the job of spiritual input is the parent's job. At the dinner table, in the car, when you put them down, when you pick them up, 
talking about God, about God is our number one priority. And, and my job as a pastor, right, is to reinforce what you're already doing in the home, what you've already taught them in the home. Some of us want to fall into what I call a Christian laundry service, where you drop off your kids and you say, okay, I want you to baptize them, educate them, sanctify them, and I'll pick them up when they're 18. We don't want to have any personal responsibility for doing it, so we want the church to do it. But it's the parent's job. It only has impact. It only, to be honest, has effect if the parents are doing it too. If I want my children to be godly, I, have to, I, can, I can't just teach them about it. It starts with my life. I've got to live it out. I've got to model it. If I want my children to be children of prayer and to grow up communicating with God, they've got to see that it's important to mom and dad and that mom and dad are actually doing it in their life. If I want my kids to open up God's Word and to see it as a love letter, that it's a vital to their existence, then they've got to see that it's vital to my existence. You've got to model it. You ever wonder why kids go all the way through life, go to church maybe every day, and then they leave the church? Nine out of ten times it's because they didn't see mom and dad ever take it seriously. Now, credit to you guys, you went every Sunday for their whole life. That's a lot of modeling right there. But if they don't ever see anything more, it's not surprising that they don't do devotions if they never saw you do devotions. It's not surprising if they don't pray if you never went or they never saw you go to God in prayer. It's never surprising that they don't understand more of what Scripture is if you've never talked to them about it or been open to their questions. See, we model this thing at home. That's where they see that it's real. That's where it has impact. And so my encouragement and my challenge to you today is that your family would yield to God and put God first. And to finish, look at the passage where Joshua calls the leaders of Israel together. He says this, You must choose for yourself today. And I know a lot of you are grandparents today, but it's not too late. And the way that you talk with your kids and what you model to your kids and your grandkids. You must choose for yourself today. Note the words choose because yielding is to God is always a choice. It is. You must decide who it is that you will serve. And it's a big decision. You see, there's a difference between knowledge of God and trusting God. You may serve the gods that the people surrounding us worship, Joshua said, or you may serve the gods of the Amorites. But then Joshua says, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And that's my encouragement to you today. Because our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, does make a difference. He does help us through. He gives reconciliation and forgiveness when nobody thinks it's possible. He gives hope when our kids get off the, the bandwagon or when our spouse loses their mind for a moment of time. Our God is the God of the possible. But it starts with saying, God, we want you to be first. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.